This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. K.A. Ellis, welcome to Viral Jesus. I was moving from one uh, headline role to another, and all of the burden of my family, this, those circumstances, the inkling, all the scripture that I had been reading about exile and wilderness experiences just sort of came rushing to me in that moment. And I looked at her and I said, I don't think this is mine to take. And she and the panel of people, they leaned forward and they looked at me and they said, do you understand what we're offering you? And I said, I do. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Who is ready for a pod class? We are going to spend the next three weeks in a new series called Listening to Black Creators. I saw a sermon clip. I think it was on Instagram. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait. I mean, I hit pause. I watched it. You know how like the reel finishes and you just, you you swipe back up because you just want to see it again and again. <laughs> I just kept swiping it. I was in awe and I'm so excited to dive into our conversation with the person who made that Instagram clip, Karen Ellis. So we're going to do that today. But first... Are you ready for Social Toolkit? This is where we learn strategies and best practices to enter the chat. Let's check in with Brady Shearer, the director of Pro Church Tools and church software platform Nucleus. Brady's work focuses on helping churches navigate the biggest communication shift in 500 years. So something that I've been seeing a lot of creators talking about, especially since we saw what happened with how quickly Twitter changed, is how important it is to have an email list. Do you think, Brady Shearer, that content creators should be focusing on not just getting people to their social media, but also getting people from their social media to their email list? Why or why not? Yeah, emails had a bit of a turbulent uh, last few years after being one of the most stable uh, ways to connect with an audience in the history of digital media. Apple, with one of the previous iOSs, I think it might have been iOS 14, released a bunch of new privacy uh, restrictions where open rates and click rates, but open rates specifically, were no longer reliable uh, because about half of devices use Apple Mail. And Apple was like, hey, we're just not going to include that pixel that tracks those things anymore. And that did put a big dent in email. Despite that, 
email is still by far the most important platform for my own company and mm. for many, many businesses, organizations, churches, and everything in between. And that is because it is real estate you own, whereas social platforms are real estate that you rent. I have 140,000 subscribers on YouTube. I cannot export them from YouTube and bring them somewhere else. So if YouTube one day decides to say, you are no longer allowed to connect with those 140,000 people that chose to subscribe to your channel, what can I do? Uh, not very much. Whereas if my email provider came to me and said, we are no longer gonna send your emails because we, and I don't believe this would ever happen, but we're not gonna send anyone's emails that cares about Christianity. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go to another provider. I'll export my email list, which mm -hmm. I have saved already on my own computer, and then put it into a different email provider or, or set up my own server that would allow me to contact those people via email. And, and so that's what makes it so valuable, even with email open rates and click rates and, and that data becoming less and less reliable. And we're also seeing a new trend on email, which is, Email newsletters are kind of having this resurgence. You know, for mm -hmm. a while, email newsletters were the big thing. And then it kind of switched more to like personal email where you're sitting like, oh, hey, Heather, it's me, Brady. Here's this new blog post I published. Consider checking it out. Now we're kind of getting back into the, the newsletter phase with the rise of companies like Beehive and mm -hmm. uh, creators investing more into that, which is uh, which is great because that's showing that email, they tried to they tried to take it down, but it's, it's still coming back. It's getting back up off the mat. So... Friends, I can't tell you, somebody told me like 10 years ago to invest in my email list and I thought that they were old and old fashioned and it was the biggest mistake I made. You have to focus on building your email list. I cannot tell you that enough. Brady, thank you so much for adding another tool to our social toolkit. It's pod class time, and I am I am amped on the guests I have for you these next three weeks. We are going to kick off our new pod class, Listening to Black Creators, by sitting down with K.A. Ellis. K.A. Ellis has areas of interest like world Christianity and ethics, and she's passionate about preparing the next generation to live faithfully under anti-Christian hostility. Mrs. Ellis teaches and disciples young people at her local church on Bible and global Christianity. She's also the director of the Edmiston Center at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. Here is episode one of our three-part series, Listening to Black Creators. So I love to open these shows by doing a little digging online and seeing what I can find about the person before I sit down with them face to face. So for you, Karen, I found this on a reel you had posted. It's from a sermon that you did, and it says this, but the Bible has a much deeper, more rich description for a widow than simply a woman whose husband has died. The Greek word for widow in the New Testament is hera, which means bereft. It literally and culturally in the biblical context is a woman bereft of the full provision and flourishing that could have been provided by a husband or a family. It's her condition that scripturally qualifies her as a widow, not the circumstances that led her to that condition. Can you talk to us a little bit about that statement in this sermon? It, it seemed like it had a lot of attention online, so people really resonated with it. Talk to us about how you came about this. 
Oh, you know, I worked alongside, lived alongside, and read uh, the work of a fellow named Andy Mendonza, who had been working with widows for decades. And mm. one of those widows was my mother-in-law, who lived with mm. us, um, and um, she just passed away a couple of years ago. So I just really had a window into how he did ministry and how he regarded ministry. And he just wrote a wonderful book, a wonderful piece on uh, spiritual widowhood. And that's where I got that idea. But I had been thinking about that. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I'd I was single till I was 42 years old. I did know, because I've been stalking you. <laughs> so I was going to ask you about that too, but we can talk about it right now. Well, it ties we talk in. About it right now. Yes. It ties in because, you know, I was so blessed with the riches of families along my walk that always made space for me in their homes, in their families. I, I've left, you know, I don't know if I can say butt prints, but I've left divots yeah. on, on people's couches um, mm. where they made space for me and they knew, you know, whatever night it was, Friday night, family night, you know, Miss Karen's coming over and she's a part of our family. And mm. so, you know, I felt like that was something that when he wrote that, when he shared that, it resonated with me of how people had, you know, made place for the lonely in families. You know, the scripture says, God places the lonely in mm. families. And since I've been married now of I think we're going on 13 years. Wow. Congratulations. We're in our 13th year. Thank you. Yeah. Both of us, you know, I'm later married, obviously. And um, just thinking about that now, what that looks like for us as a married couple to continue Mm. that discipleship tradition, that um, covering tradition of inviting particularly young women who would be vulnerable. They're away from their families or they don't have families. They've been rejected by their husbands or what, you know, whatever circumstances have led them to um, where they are. We've tried to make place for them in our homes. Mm-hmm. Some of them have families, but they just need a place to stay. And so um, we've tried to be that. And, um, you know, we've gone through different seasons with different young women. And it's been a huge blessing just to, for me, to have going into middle age, to have that headspace, realistically speaking. And, you know, you got you to gotta deal with the, you got to deal with the romance and you got to deal with the reality. You know, if my husband predeceases me, that will be my condition. Um I may predecease him. That's mm. also possible. But if he predeceases me, you know, I'll be asking the same question that um, that I asked when I was single for 42 years. It's funny. It's so funny, Heather. Mm. The question that I've been encouraged by the Lord to ask through every season of my life, whether it's single, whether it's married, and it'll be the same question if I'm ever a widow, the same question comes up. Is, is God enough? And God makes himself enough through the body of Christ. Mm. He makes himself by supplying our needs and supplying our, our you know, whether they're material mm. or physical or spiritual, emotional. He does it by his Holy Spirit through his people. And so that's, that's just one of the beautiful pieces I was able to unpack in um, the value and usefulness of uh, a woman when she's in the body of Christ. I think that was the overarching theme was, it doesn't matter what your condition is, you're valuable to ministry. Yeah, You're useful to the Lord. You, and I wouldn't have to be married to continue, um, you know, if I were a widow or if I'm single, I don't have to be married to disciple young women, to disciple people, yeah. to, to do hospitality in my home, to encourage people and be involved in ministry. As a matter of fact, it's a great place from which to do ministry. 
um, because you have freedoms yeah. that um, you might not have if you were, you know, if you had someone else to consider, you know, because you're one. So, yeah. So, yeah, thanks. for. I'm glad you picked up on that. That was a really great conference. I enjoyed that conference a lot. Well, it was a very powerful piece that was posted onto Instagram, and I wanted to talk about it because I have – I'm very passionate, of course, about women yeah. and women's ministry. Yeah. Um, but single women have always had a place – in my heart, um, my sister was divorced after marrying the only guy she had ever kissed. She never thought yeah. that that marriage would end. Yeah. And so watching her through that journey, I have so many women who are just, I mean, gorgeous, talented, professional, amazing women and are single and are praying for a partner. Mm-hmm. And I do. I I have also felt very much so that as the Bible talks about justice, we always hear about widows, mm-hmm. orphans. Yes the poor, Mm -hmm. and immigrants. That's right. And so it should be just the bedrock, I think, of our Christian faith Mm -hmm. to really look for people in those marginalized communities Mm -hmm. and ask ourselves, how can we support them? So I was really touched by that message. I'm going to link it just so you guys know in the show notes that you can watch it as well. Karen, if you, afterwards, if you'll send me even if you have the full YouTube sermon to that, I don't know if it's just the Clippers or the yeah, full sermon. Yeah, it was a talk that was given at a TGC pre-conference. And I, yeah, I can I can give it to you. You can include it in the notes. Yeah, I'd sure. love to put that in the show notes because yeah. I just, I get letters all the time and I know people are going to want to watch mm-hmm. the full piece of that. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you come to faith? And then before we were recording, Karen was telling me that she was in Broadway. And I that just made me so excited because my dad worked in Broadway for many years. That was his only dream mm-hmm. as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so people who are into the arts and music just I don't know, have a special place in my heart. So please yeah. tell us about that. Well, you know, I, I call myself an unlikely theologian. I, I it really is the grace of God and the purpose mm. of God that's brought me to being a seminary professor. Yeah. Um, and it it almost seems like if you weren't looking at it with eyes, the eyes of the Holy Spirit, you would think it was a bunch of hairpin turns. But it's not. It's actually yes. really well laid out because even now, today, uh, I use all the skills that I learned um you know, when I was, you know, learning the craft of acting and theater and communications and, you know, yeah. I was in radio for a minute and, you know, I just, I, I learned so much there and they were all transferable skills to what I do today mm. as a teacher, um, as a communicator, as a speaker. All I wanted to do, like your dad, all I wanted to be was an actress. Really? From the time I was five, singing into my hairbrush in mm. front of the mirror, um, you know, to the radio. I know the- <laughs> dates me but singing to the radio <laughs> and uh, waiting for my song to come on. And I pursued that through college. And then I went to the Yale School of Drama for a minute. Wow. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I got in and I, I worked with some amazing people and um, learned some uh, really valuable skills about how to, it's funny, um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but the acting technique that we were learning, even though it was from a secular headspace, it was um, Meisner-Stanislavski training, uh, which is now called the Gister Method, and that's maybe too technical, but um, it was so biblical. Hmm. Like, it, there were so many biblical principles, but I didn't know that. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I was kind of saying on Sunday, ain't on Monday, you know, I yeah. was a, a uh, cultural Christian. And then it was actually there at the School of Drama in my third year that the Lord got a hold of me. Mm. And I was in the stacks. I was I was just wondering, like, how can this, 
how can all this be one God of many names? You know, like, how's God going to reconcile all this at the end? Like, you know, do the Mormons, when, when they get to, to glory, do they open up the Book of Mormon and then the Baptists go and, he, you know, does he open the National Baptist hymnal and, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know the, the Buddhists, what happens with them, yes. you know? And so, and I started pulling on that little thread and my whole worldview came apart. Mm. And I started this active search for the truth. And so in my third year, you could be triple and quadruple cast in a show. But when I wasn't learning my lines, I was in the stacks at the libraries at Yale, Mm. just reading about the world's religions. And really, Heather, not a word of a lie. It was only by the Holy Spirit that he said, that's not me. I'd read books about Yoruban religions, he's, you know, and the goddesses, uh, you know, the goddesses and their pantheon. And he's like, mm, that's not me. And I'd read about, um, you know, Zen and the art of archery and these philosophical approaches to, you know, to peace. And he's like, that's not me. And then one day I was at the African and African-American Student Cultural Center. And it was a super informal. I can still see this brother's face. Mm. I can still see him. He gave the gospel, Mm. and that penny dropped, and the Lord said, this is the truth. Mm. This is me. And that was 1993. I went forward. I crawled over people Mm. (laughs) that that I had brought with me. I crawled over them to get to the aisle to go down, and just a bunch of folding chairs, just a bunch of people, and then they prayed over us. I can't wait to see that brother in glory. So I could be like, hey, yes. that's what I Because yes. <laughs> I haven't seen him since. But um, and and it's just it's been an amazing ride. Eventually the Lord told me that my time was done. He uh sort of wrapped things up um as he does. When you won't leave somewhere, he's like, okay, we're going to have to Jonah you on this one. And mm. so he wrapped things up with my career. I had a great career. I did everything I wanted to do in that realm. And he said, now it's time to do something else. And uh, I transferred all those skills into radio and then into public speaking and then um, went to seminary, met my husband. And mm. um, that's kind of how I ended up right here sitting, talking to you. <laughs> So I want to ask you a question actually about that. How do you know when to let go and say, okay, this might be a Jonah experience. I'm uncomfortable now Mm. and I'm supposed to go. And how do we know when to keep pushing through? Yeah. Because it's just the resistance that comes with, you know, whatever's happening Mm -hmm. supernaturally. Yeah. So it wasn't like this audible voice. It was circumstances that uh, it was personal circumstances. My family, uh, my mom was declining in health. And so mm. I took some time away from the business to um, the industry to go and be with my family. And then uh, on top of that, um, our show closed. The show I was in closed 17 weeks early mm. um, due to financial mismanagement on the part of the producers. And I realized I was presented with the opportunity to change from one show to another without having to audition. Okay. And... The burden on my heart, I had been in the scripture. I'd been led to read about people who were entering into wilderness experiences, Mm. um, which seemed to them like hairpin turns, but were actually, you know, the Lord leading them. And so in that moment, the one of the the choreographers, uh, who's really well known, um, she said, we want you to audition for this other show, but you don't technically have to audition. We're just going to move you over to this show. 
was I was moving from one uh, headline role to another. Mm. And all of the burden of my family, this, those circumstances, the inkling, all the scripture that I had been reading about exile and wilderness experiences just sort of came rushing to me in that moment. And I looked at her and I said, I don't think this is mine to take. And she and the panel of people, they leaned forward and they looked at me and they said, do you understand what we're offering you? And I said, I do. And they said, this is the place that people work really hard to get to. Mm-hmm. And I said, I know. But I just am not comfortable with making this move right now. I'm going to take some time away, go be with my family, and give it some time. I didn't say I'm going to see what the Lord says because yeah. that would have been weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's really what I – that was my intention. Yeah. And so I spent six months um, at home with my mom and dad uh, while my mom's health was declining. My brothers and sisters had been doing a yeoman's job, and I had not been as present as I wanted to be. And so I went, and and in that six months' time, the Lord, again, through his word and through bringing all—I could go, I could walk into a random church and visit, and somebody would be speaking on somebody in the Bible having a wilderness experience. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't know what the next step is, but when I don't know what to do, I've learned to go back to what I know and to wait. Okay. And so I waited. And while I was waiting, I lost my hunger. I lost my hunger for the industry. Mm. And uh, the Lord just took me in a totally different direction. I ended up in radio. Uh, a, a spot opened up for me at a small market, uh, non-com radio station. And I ended up working there for about eight years. And it was mm. a great education <laughs> In communications, it was a a missing piece of the puzzle. So I think I felt like as things were unfolding, that I was being Mm. given this really interesting, you know, hand to play uh, in in this game of life. And the Lord's like, okay, here's your here's your royal flush. You've got these great cards, and then all of a sudden, like a you know Uno wild card would show up in my hand. (laughs) And then then, then there's like you know uh, uh, I don't know an old maid card. It's just just all these different. I'm like. What game are we playing, God? What is going on? He's like, trust me, all of these things are going to be useful. And sure enough, because he is who he says he is, and he's not a man that he should lie, sure enough, I have used everything that he has given me. And um, and he's grown me in the process. He's um, blessed me um, with, with meaningful work, um, meaningful ministry work. Yeah. And um, here I am. I would not have styled things this way. But um, sitting in the middle of it, it's right. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. 
double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. Your most recent book is releasing this month. Super excited about it. You have a new <laughs> children's book that just that's going to come out. It's called Fannie Lou Hamer, The Woman Who Marched for Dignity. Can you tell us a little bit about the story of Fannie Lou Hamer and why yeah. it was really important yeah. for you to tell this story? Yeah, you know, um, so this is a part of a larger series with the Good Book Company, and um, it's, it's the Do Great Things for God mm. series. And uh, so this is the second book that I've done. The first book was uh, Mother Mariah mm. Fearing, who was a woman who went to Congo after uh, in the Reconstruction period. She was an emancipated slave, and she uh, ransomed children mm. uh, into an orphanage that she ran in Congo. And she just just watching the Lord unfold in her life. And Fannie Lou Hamer is the one that's coming out. Let me show you the cover. Beautiful, because I love the Beautiful. artwork on here. Yeah, um, uh, Shin Meng did the artwork, and it's just stunning. But uh, I wanted to highlight these two women because there are portions of their stories that have been overlooked in history. And I I chose Mother Hamer because um, most people know her civil rights record, but a lot of people didn't know that she also, she was just a womb-to-tomb flourishing person. She believed in, you know, the rights of the unborn, Mm. and she differed from a lot of her colleagues in the civil rights industry strongly, uh, verbally, vocally. Um, And she also uh, was very much about, you know, faith and work projects where people were doing farming work together and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, creating creating their own opportunities in communities where, you know, the, the society had just forgotten them. So both of these women we're doing what we talked about at the very beginning, that they were making space mm. for the poor and the marginalized mm. and the overlooked at great cost to themselves. Fannie Lou Hamer suffered an incredible amount of indignities because of her race, because she was an African-American woman and she was poor. Mm. And she and her husband took an enormous stand in front of very powerful people, people who should, this is a woman who should have remained voiceless, but it was her faith that gave her the power and the courage to stand up for the dignity of people who were being overlooked. And um, so I loved telling her story. It was fun to do it in 24 pages. I got to spend time sitting in her speeches to um, uh, lawmakers in Washington, D.C. She spoke to civic groups, uh, and she was just both of these women, Mariah Fearing and Fannie Lou Hamer, both of them were just regular, as we would say, regular, regular, mm. regular, ordinary women who did amazing things from where they sat. And I just think that their stories need yeah. to be told. We need to know about them because, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Heather. Nobody's going to remember my name in 150, 200 mm. years. Nobody's going to remember me. But my name is written alongside mm. theirs in the Lamb's Amen. Book of Life as faithful servants. And that's the book that counts. But Mm, while I have some influence over the history books, at this point, I'm going to make sure that people know. And that that we have a way of telling our kids, you know, God brought you here for His purposes. He has a reason for your being here. There's work for you to do. Just like there's work in glory, 
There's meaningful work here for everybody to do. And so let's ask him together. Let's uh, talk to our kids and ask him, what do you think God has for you to do? And get them thinking at a young age, why has he brought you here? He's got a reason for Mm -hmm. you being here. You have purpose. God delights in answering those kinds of questions. I was watching a bunch of like hero type, really like shoot movies over <laughs> yeah. Christmas. But something that the Holy Spirit said to me while watching these movies is like the hero comes in and like so many people die, but he's able sometimes to save like one person. Mm. And when I'm watching the movie and it's like one person who's escaped from this prison, you don't question whether or not the hero's work was valuable. Right. You see the conditions that the person was in. You see that he gets to free them and they leave and that's how the movie ends. And it just, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, like, that is the same with the gospel. If we can reach one person, it is incredibly and immensely valuable to me. And that should change the way, I just love what you said about your name being written next to hers in the book of life. That's the only book that matters. I just want to say to the person listening, please, that is so true because people say to me all the time, but I don't have a big ministry. I don't have a big podcast. I have like 50 downloads. Friend, one person is so Mm -hmm. valuable to God. Mm -hmm. Lean into that. Our names will be written in the same book of life. That's the only thing that matters. Yes, come through. That's And that's the truth, you know? And It is the truth, but we have to remind ourselves of that here (laughs) when we're poor and trying to pay our mortgage. You know what I mean? But it sets us free. It sets us free yes. into whatever work that he's called. And, and, and his work is meaningful. Mm. It's the mundane. When Fannie Lou Hamer was out buying you know, pigs and boars for the people in her community so that they could develop farms, they could develop mm. their own farmland so that they weren't sharecropping for other people. When she was out buying a pig and a boar, she was doing God's work. It may have yeah. seemed mundane. At the time, the exchange of hands, how much does this one cost? 25 this. Oh, you give her the money. But God is in those little mundane moments. And, uh, you know, that's rediscovering that. You know, the, the early church fathers wrote about this. People have lived it all throughout the kingdom line, you know, from Genesis till now. People, and, and we'll and we'll continue to live that truth all the way to Revelation. So we're just, you know, we're just, every generation, we're rediscovering the basic truths of the Bible. Yeah. What we do here matters there. It matters. And and God has given our assignments, each of us, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. he's given us each of our assignments for his purposes, his purpose alone, to bring him glory and honor in this life and in the next. That's our work. Our mm-hmm. work is to glorify him. Now, all of us fall short. We all mess up. But the ongoing work of glorifying him even includes our ongoing repentance and saying, man, man, I really fell short on that, Lord. And he's like, it's okay. Come to the mercy seat. <laughs> There's plenty of grace for you. Yeah. There's plenty of mercy for you. And to keep going. It's not about being, for me, it's not about being perfect. It's the liberation of his grace and his mercy. He's keeping us. He's keeping a kingdom people. And we are doing his work. No matter what we're doing, we're bringing him glory and honor and praise. Um, yeah, it's exciting. It was fun for me um, and really encouraging. To, to The whole series is full of women who were just, they were not perfect. Some of them made mistakes. Some of them made bad judgment calls. 
but they leaned on the mercy seat. And, you know, we need, I feel like in this day and age of, you know, scandals and, you know, church, you know, there's church hurt and there's disappointments and, you know, our heroes fall. Well, we need to rediscover some of these other folks who, they weren't perfect, but they did finish well. They did finish Mm. well, you know, just like the people in the Bible, you know. Was there anything, I'm just curious as you were researching her, was there like a line or a particular story or a phrase that you came across while studying about Fannie Lou Hamer that you just said, I'm going to remember this? Yes. And okay. I'm going to, and I want to find the page because I want you to see Shin's beautiful illustration on it. Because it just, when I got to this point in the illustrations on the book, um, I had to put the book down. I was like, oh, I got to put this down (laughs) because it just, here it is. I'll read it to you. Okay, please. Her voice carried the fire with which she had told anyone who would listen all over the country, until I'm free, you're not free either. She wanted the powerful people in Washington to realize that, as she had proclaimed many times before, righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people. Here's the fear. Here's the, here's his. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Shin is a, he's in, he lives in Scotland. Um, he's, he's, I believe he's uh, working on a, a degree there. And um, he just, he took the, um, she used to sing when they were marching, she used to sing this little light of mine. And so he took the light hmm. motif and laced it all throughout the book. And it's just, the fire of God, you know, shut up in her bones and the fire of God when she spoke yeah. scripture in, in the, the halls of, you know, the halls of justice and the light of God when she sang and worshiped in church and the fire of God, you know, when people came alongside her and knelt and prayed. And it's, it's a great, <laughs> I just, I love what he yeah. did with that. What advice would you give somebody who's listening right now and they are trying to discern the voice of God in their own life. How would you advise them to discern that? When I don't know what to do, I go back to what I know. I focus on the character of God. I focus on his nature, that whatever he says is going to be good for me because what he might say might be hard. Mm. So I have to remember that. And then I stay in scripture and I look for the patterns of people who may have experienced something similar to what I'm going through. Because in terms of humanity, there's there's a there's a handful of experiences really that just keep playing out over <laughs> over time. You know what I mean? The circumstances may be different from mm-hmm. age to age, but you know the the fundamental issues really deal with the human heart. And our hearts, you know, the Lord tells us, you know, the condition of our hearts apart from him in our condition of our hearts with him. And so there's going to be some consistencies. And then I look for, and then when I lock in on someone in the Bible who's having a similar experience, I lock in on how God was working then, what he was saying to that person then, how he was challenging them then. And then I ask the Lord, okay, where are you working in my life now? And you know, it's funny, he answers through his word. He, he answers through his word, and he answers through the circumstances. He answers through the people around us. And so yeah. 
I guess fundamentally for me, discerning the will of God is a process of opening my eyes, my ears, my heart, my eyes to what God's Word, what I'm reading in God's Word, my ears to what I'm hearing through God's Word, um, my ears to hearing what other people are telling me through God's Word, how they're advising me. You know, there's, there's wisdom in the counsel of many advisors. And then opening my heart and giving me the courage to do the things that He's asking me to do. Yes. Because really, sometimes the things He asks us to do are hard. Sometimes the things He asks us to lay down and it are hard. You know, if you look at, look at Isaac and Abraham, that's all about true worship, mm-hmm. laying down the thing you mm-hmm. love. And the promise. Laying down and what you promise. believe God had promised That's you right. and saying, I'll even That's put this right. on the altar, which I think for a lot of people in Christianity <laughs> is, I just think it might be something that we, a pattern that we often have to repeat in order to be worthy to hold it. That's such a great point. It's such a great point. And that it's that, you know, and learning those things. You know, for me, I'm like, oh, are we back here again? The Lord's like, yeah. He's like, and he's like, it's not that you didn't learn it right the last time. It's just we're going to go a little bit deeper this time. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, you know, because everybody's got something that they struggle with. And um, he's going to keep doing his perfecting work in us. Mm. That's that's part of the promise. And um, so, yeah, so those those are, I guess those are just a few things that I'm coming to rely on um, and coming to run to. I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm still learning, deeply flawed, yet richly loved, and um, so grateful. I had some wonderful mentors in my life, and my one of my tightest two women, she used to, she had this wonderful thick Brooklyn accent, and she used, and it was so theologically weird, but it was also true. <laughs> she used to say, oh, beloved, thank God for Jesus. <laughs> mm. And I used to sit and think about that, and I'm like, well, how does that work with uh, you know, uh, the economic trinity and the ontological trinity? But then I was like, I'll just let it go. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Thank God for Jesus. I'm, so, I'm just so grateful for him. You know, I, don't, I can't think about it too much, but I am grateful for him. And I, yes. I, I want to, I need to be around others who are just, you know, still uh, willing to walk out and figure this thing out together and walk through this life together and to find other people in history who, like I said, finished well. You know, I just want to finish well, you know, in spite of myself. K.A. Ellis is the author of Fannie Lou Hamer, The Woman Who Marched for Dignity. You can get that book, friend, wherever books are sold. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Karen, our show is called Viral Jesus. This is the question I ask everybody before they leave. What do you think it means to be a Christian when you are online? Ah, wow. To be a Christian online, for me, is to not be distracted from Mm. the message that will change lives. I came into 2024, Mm. I came into 2023, really, with a new headspace for my digital life, and it's been a battle, but I really wanted to speak the words of life. I I don't want to get caught up in side things. I want to speak words that are going to last into eternity. K.A. Ellis is the author of Fannie Lou Hamer, The Woman Who Marched for Dignity. It is a children's book, and you can get it wherever books are sold. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Heather. 
So what can we learn from our conversation with Karen Ellis? Number one, the Greek word for widow in the New Testament is hera, which means bereft. This signifies a woman who was bereft of the full provision and flourishing that could have been provided by a husband or family. In light of the Bible's clear focus on caring for the widow, how should this understanding change how we love and support and care for single women in churches today? Number two, Kay Ellis wants children to start thinking, why has God brought you here? But I think that that's something that you can think about too. Why has God brought you here? And what is one action step you can take, and I mean like right now, to move yourself toward that purpose? Number three, Karen says, when I don't know what to do, I go back to what I know. And I want to leave you today on that thought. If right now you don't know what to do, you don't know where God is, you don't know which way is left or right, I just want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to ask yourself, what do you know? What do you know? Okay, your brain right now is filled with all the things you don't know. What do you know? And if you truly know that God is good, if you truly know that God is trustworthy, if you truly know that God is with you, then what if there is more to this current darkness that you are experiencing than you understand right now? What if God is moving and working on your behalf, even if you can't see it? When you don't know what to do, go back to what you know. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week is part two of our pod class, Listening to Black Creators, and it will not disappoint. We sit down with Allie Henny and woo, woo, that girl. She does not miss, okay? She does not miss. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.